Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Kelly, thank you so much. Or Teresa's husband, as he's also known. Appreciate that. As we come to prayer, we want to make sure that we are good citizens of our nation and follow the scriptures and pray for our new president and vice president and for our nation and for ourselves, as well as for the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. So will you join with me in prayer? Sovereign Lord, ruler, King, Master, we serve you, and as we already sang, we bow to you alone. We thank you, however, that you've allowed us to live in perhaps the greatest nation there has been, and we thank you, Lord, for this nation and would ask your continued watch care over it. We thank you that you have answered our prayers, and Lord, we thank you that you have said yes and no and wait, <laughs> and sometimes you have been silent, but you have answered and we trust you. Lord, we want to thank you that the transition has gone without violence, and Lord, that the things that were projected and feared did not occur. And we thank you, Lord, for you watching over us and hearing our prayers. Lord, we pray today for President Biden and Vice President Harris. We pray, Lord, that they would listen to good spiritual advice from those who are filled with your spirit. We pray, Lord, that each of them who have a heritage of growing up in the church would remember the things that they have been taught from your word and follow your truth. We pray, Lord, when they are given poor advice, that they would recognize it as poor advice. And Lord, we pray that we might live in peace and tranquility in our nation. Lord, we continue to pray for attitudes, and we pray, Lord, that we as believers would be the ones who would lead the way in showing what it means to be gracious and kind and forgiving and understanding. Lord, we also pray that we as Christians would be ones who would stand for the truth without wavering, Lord, and we would follow your ways. Lord, may we shine as light in the darkness. May we truly be the salt that preserves our nation. Lord, we also pray for our church and its well-being. You have allowed us to do quite well during the pandemic. In fact, we have grown and thrived, and for that we humbly give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, that the attenders of our church are around the world now and listening to us even now in all parts of the world, and for that we give you thanks. We pray for those who have gone through difficult times during this pandemic, Lord, especially those who have ill loved ones and lost loved ones due to the pandemic and also just through life 
Lord, and the things that happen. And Lord, we pray for those that we love and care for, that you administer to those who have had great loss during this season. Lord, as we look into your word, we are humbly, humbly dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we pray for him to speak through me words that are truthful and helpful and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things through the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was 18 years old, I wanted to enroll in a course being offered at San Diego State University on skydiving. Uh, you didn't get any credit for it, but you had to sign up for it. And I was 18 years old, and I thought it would be really fun and exciting to jump out of a perfectly good airplane at 10,000 feet and see what happens. And so I signed up for the course, but because I was 18 and the age of majority at that time in California was 21, I had to get my parents' signature. One of my parents needed to sign off on And it was just a mere formality. And, you know, I was wise. I was mature. I knew what was good for me. I mean, I, like I said, I was 18 years old, so I was sure that, you know, my dad would sign off on this. And I sent him the paper. And much to my surprise, dad said, no. And he wouldn't sign off. Can you believe it? He said no. And instead of thanking my dad for his loving, caring, and wise response, I got mad. How dare he say no? Now, I have one of those personalities that doesn't like to take no for an answer. So about a decade or so later, when I was a Navy chaplain and I was asked, would you like to go with the 3rd Recon Marines in Okinawa, Japan? I said, sure, sign me up. And so I went to Okinawa, Japan. I was at Camp Schwab with 3rd Recon Marines. And they were getting ready to go to jump school, some of them, in South Korea. So I went to my colonel. I said, Colonel, can I go with them to South Korea? Can I go to jump school? And he thought that was a great idea. So I flew over to South Korea, and I'm with the ROC Marines, the Republic of Korea Marines, and I'm going through jump school and out of towers and cables, and they're dropping me from, I don't know, six, ten feet, and I tuck and roll and doing all this for a week. And then it was time for the big day that I'm going to jump out of an airplane with a parachute and, you know, maybe eventually earn some little wings and everything, wear my uniform. And I was just so excited. Well, right before the jump, my colonel comes to me and says, sorry, chaplain, but the commanding general of the 3rd Marine Division heard about you being in jump school, and he said, no, you don't get to jump. Well, I was extremely displeased, as were the recon marines that I served with, and I did not get to jump. Oddly enough, they let me jump out of a helicopter without a parachute into the water, and they let me rappel out of a helicopter at 100 feet without a parachute, but they wouldn't let me jump out of a plane with a parachute. There's something in you, and there's something in me, ever since we were toddlers, that we don't like the word no. And it takes years of physical maturation and spiritual maturing for us to get to the point where we might even realize that a no sometimes is the better answer. Today we're going to continue in our series entitled Prayer, Why Bother? And we come to today's message which is entitled, Why Does God Say No? And someone suggested you might want to change why why parents say no (laughs) and some of these answers would apply to that too with your children no answers are usually poorly received 
whether we get them from an earthly father or we get them from our heavenly father. When you and I pray and our heavenly father says no, there's a tendency for us to act more like a spoiled three-year-old than like a mature child of God. Rather than saying, Lord, so thank you so much, Lord. Uh, I thank you for saying no. I thought yes was the right answer. Thank you for saying no. You know what's better. I'm so grateful. How often have you done that? How often have I done that? When we are upset that God says no, I think it shows us that we are viewing God more like a genie who is going to give us our three wishes. And he has to give us our three wishes. Rather than viewing God as God, as sovereign and Lord. As the one who always knows what's best for you and what's best for me. Not just in the short term, but obviously in the long term and for all eternity. Wise parents know better than to always say yes to their children. And could we expect any less from God? I'd like to offer to you today three general reasons why God says no. The first reason there, and if you're taking notes and watching online, it's available on the PDF icon, and if you're in this room, the outlines are by the door. God says no, number one, because it is better for you. Because it is better for you. And sometimes when God says no, it doesn't feel like it's better for us at the moment, but as time passes, as we get more information, we discover, oh, I'm so glad God said no. And we might even thank him. For the fact that he said no and protected us from maybe a business partnership or a certain investment. Or maybe he said no to a certain relationship and we were devastated and later we realized, oh, I'm so glad he saved me from that. Maybe he said no to a particular job and then later on something even better turned up and you're so glad. I'd like to mention today three well-known saints from the Old Testament Moses, Jonah, and Elijah, who all have something very interesting in common. All three of them, Moses, Jonah, and Elijah, prayed the same prayer to which God said no. Let's find out what that common prayer was. We're going to start with Moses in Numbers chapter 11. And let me give you the background before we look at the passage. Moses, as you know, was the reluctant leader of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel had been subjugated to slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. This actually solidified the nation. And then God rescued them out of Egypt, and Moses was their leader. And he's leading them across the Sinai Desert, and what should have been about a, a week's trip to the Promised Land ended up taking 40 years because of disobedience. And the first generation who disobeyed had to die out, and there had to be a new generation that would enter the Promised Land. But Moses led both generations for 40 years. If you've ever been to the Sinai Desert, you will understand why they complained. It's a desert. <laughs> There's nothing there. And so they complain. There's no water, there's no food, and they're complaining. Now keep in mind, the scriptures tell us there are about 600,000 men that came out. And so if 600,000 men came, most of them would have had wives and children. And so it's estimated there could be as many as 2 million people who Moses is leading. That's a big group. 
and that's a lot of complaining. And the people began to complain bitterly, so Moses prays to God. Let's see the prayer, Numbers chapter 11 and verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 11 says, Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So nobody's happy here. The people aren't happy, the families aren't happy, God is not happy, and Moses isn't happy. So Moses said to the Lord, Why hast thou been so hard on thy servant, and why have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou hast laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all these people? I like that. He's going, why am I responsible for them? They're not my kids. Was it I who brought them forth, that thou shouldst say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which thou dost swear to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? Two million people. Where do I get the food? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I can say, give us meat that we may eat. Give us meat that we may eat. Okay, we got two million people saying it. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. You've been there. Maybe not two million people, but maybe even two or too many for you. And so notice his prayer in verse 15. So if thou art going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight. What a prayer is that? Lord, kill me. He was so discouraged with his life and ministry, he prayed to God that he might die, that God might kill him right there. And God said no. And then there is the great Old Testament prophet Elijah, who prays the same thing for himself. You might recall from 1 Kings chapter 19, Pastor Josh did a, a beautiful job unpacking that chapter for us recently, and we saw that Elijah had been up on Mount Carmel, and there are 450 prophets of Baal, and they're both calling out to their, their gods, and the false gods can't send fire from heaven, but the true God sends fire from heaven and burns up the sacrifice and the altar and the water and the rocks and everything, and proves that Yahweh is a true God, and then they take swords and they execute the 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah has just had an incredible ministry experience, but he's exhausted. And then he finds out that the queen, evil queen Jezebel of Israel, wants to kill him. And so now he's depressed. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, that's the evil king of Israel, told Jezebel, his evil queen wife, all that Elijah had done, that he slaughtered the prophets, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she's ready to kill him. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which, by the way, I'm told is about a 110-mile run. So that, he had a lot of adrenaline, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, notice his prayer, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life. So he prays that God might kill him. Notice the irony of this. Why is he there? Because he's afraid he's going to be killed. (laughs) 
and then he runs 110 miles. He goes, Lord, kill me because they're going to kill me. A little irony here. Well, God says no. And our third Old Testament saint is Jonah. And in the eponymous book of Jonah, the book named after our prophet Jonah, we learn an important lesson. Now, let me give you the background. Jonah was a reluctant prophet. God had told them, I, told them, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of the Syrian Empire. This is the empire that's ruling at this time, extremely wicked people that skin people alive and, and do all kinds of horrible, nasty things. And God says, I want you to go to them and preach a message of repentance. But Jonah hated the Assyrians. And he didn't want to preach because he didn't want them to be forgiven. And so, as you know, he ran away toward Tarshish. He's on a boat, and there's a storm. He gets thrown in the water. He gets swallowed by a big fish. He gets vomited on the the ground. And now he's pasty white from being three days in a fish. He smells like fish vomit. And pasty white fish vomit, looking wrinkled and everything, he goes in the city, and he gets a lot of attention. They could smell him coming. And he preaches a one-sentence sermon with absolutely no enthusiasm. Repent, you're going to be destroyed. And the people repent. And the whole city of Nineveh, including the king, repent. And God spares them because we have a forgiving God. And rather than being excited that we have a forgiving God that has forgiven these evil people, Jonah's upset. And that's where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and we'll go on to chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, these are the Assyrians, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. If you think your prayers don't have a difference, then you have not read the prayers of Scripture. Your prayers make a difference. You can partner with God through your prayers. And these people prayed, and God didn't destroy them. But, chapter 4, verse 1, but changes everything. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, the repentance of a nation, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah goes, I'd rather die than see all these people forgiven and come to you. (laughs) And God says, no. Three great Old Testament saints, Moses, Elijah, and Jonah, all prayed for God to kill them, to take their life, And God answered, no. Now, obviously, not all no answers to prayer are so clearly better for us. A dad has a debilitating illness and can no longer provide for his family. So his family, his church, his friends pray for him to be healed. And God says, no. A retired nurse comes out of retirement during COVID. 
so she can help the hospital that's overwhelmed. And she contracts COVID, gets sick. Her family prays, and she dies of COVID and never gets to experience retirement. You might have seen that on the news. And God said no to King David. He prayed for his baby that was conceived through adultery to live, and God said, no, your baby's going to die. And after 40 years of leading the nation of Israel across the promised land, Moses asked God, may I go into the promised land? And God says no. (laughs) And ironically, Moses finally gets the answer to his prayer for God to kill him 40 years later. And Moses dies. And God buries Moses, and no one knows where he was buried. The apostle Paul prayed for healing from a satanic-induced illness. And God said, no. And he prayed again, and God said, no. And he prayed again, and God said, no. How could a no response be good in these or similar situations? That's a fair question. A question that is partially answered for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we have Paul's request for his illness to be removed. And we have God's answer and the reason for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let's pick it up in verse 7. Verse 7 is 2 Corinthians 12, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Keep in mind that this man, the Apostle Paul, had had a revelation of Jesus Christ and heard his voice. He had revelations where God told him what to write, and he wrote Scripture. He had a revelation where he actually was transported to heaven and saw things that he can't utter. And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, from self-arrogance and pride, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself, to keep him humble. Concerning this, this affliction, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and God said to me, and here's the answer, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. God's power is shown better in your weakness than if you were healed. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God said no because it was better for the Apostle Paul's character for him to say no. For his physical health, yes was better. For his spiritual health, no was better. In order for the Apostle Paul to be able to finish well his ministry and to perform it correctly, in order for him not to become arrogant and filled with self-pride, he needed to be constantly humbled and dependent on the strength of the Lord rather than his own strength. A yes may satisfy your physical desires, but a no may be exactly what your spirit needs. So God says no because it's better for you. During the American Civil War, a Confederate soldier wrote the following poem on the side of a bunker. 
He wrote this, and I read it. He said, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all men, most richly blessed. An anonymous Confederate soldier. God says no because it's better for you, but of course... It's not always about you or about me. And that's a hard lesson for all of us to learn. A second reason why God says no, and a reason why your parents might say no, is because it's better for others. It's better for others. Suppose there are only two job openings at a construction company, and there are six Christian men all praying that they will get the job. Well, God has to say no to at least four of them, and he may say no to all six of them. Because prayer is never just about you and what you want. Other people also have needs. Other people also have wants. Other people also have hopes and dreams that they're asking God about. If you get the job, someone else won't. If you get to marry so-and-so, no one else can. If you're flying standby and you guess the last seat, there are all these other people on the list that don't get the last seat. If you win this or that, everyone else loses. And God takes all of these people into account. And he takes every situation that's possible based on how he answers that prayer in every person's life into account. Not just now, but through all future time. That's a lot to take into account. And that is why God says no sometimes. In fact, that is why God said no to Jesus when he prayed. Oddly enough, while Moses, Elijah, and Jonah all prayed to die, and God said no, Jesus prayed to live, and God said no. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. We'll pick up the story in Luke 22, verse 41. He's praying, and it's a night of his betrayal. He's going to be arrested, and it says in Luke 22, verse 41, and Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray. And notice his prayer, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. The cup is his crucifixion, his death. And he says, if it's you're willing, keep me from having to die on the cross. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was praying 
to live? And God answered, no. And that, of course, was better for everyone else, not for Jesus, but for all of humanity, because through Jesus' death, we can be saved. So God said no, because it's better for others. There's a third reason God says no. He says no, number one, because it's better for you. Number two, it's better for others. Number three, God says no, because it's better for God. It's better for God. Isn't it sad how easily we dismiss what God might prefer in a situation? That we don't go to him in prayer and say, Lord, here's this opportunity. What do you want to happen? What would bring you pleasure? Which job, which relationship or non-relationship would bring you the most pleasure? Lord, I have some money. What would bring you pleasure with this money? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we have the last half of a sentence. Not even a complete sentence, and yet in that half a sentence, it contains some of the richest truths pertaining your relationship with God. It tells us where our desires should come from, where they should originate. It tells us where our energy and abilities should come from. And it tells us why we should be doing the things that we do. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. As I said, it's the end of a sentence, and it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you. God's working in you to do what? Both to will, to have the desire, in other words, and to work, to have the power. So he's, it's God who gives you the desire and the power to do what? To work for his good pleasure. And it's those last four words we want to look at for his good pleasure. Whatever you want, the verse says, whatever you do, the verse says, should be so you can please God. All your desires, all your abilities should be moving toward pleasing God. Because although it is never all about you, it is always about Him. If a no answer to your prayers is better for God, then of course a no answer is what you should want. So why does God say no? Well, sometimes it's because it's better for you, sometimes because it's better for others, and certainly he says no because it's better for God. Which brings us to the last thing on your notes. You see, God truly knows best, and knows N-O. <laughs> God knows best. Will you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes, even if you're watching with us online, that you join us in prayer. God will never say no to the prayer to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, but you recognize he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the grave and conquered death, if you desire to be forgiven of sins, past, present, future, if you desire to live eternally in a perfect world, made perfect forever in the presence of God, you need to accept the gift of Jesus. And if you say yes 
to Jesus, God will answer your prayer and say yes to you. If you'd like to pray to receive Jesus, just cry out to him and say something like, Jesus, I believe what you've done for me. Thank you for dying for me. Come into my life and save me. Lord, as we close, we ask that you'd help us to pray better, to pray more often, to pray more expectantly, and to pray with greater trust that you have answered us well. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen.